Welcome everyone to the first episode of Furt Focus. This is a simple little podcast from the team at Toenfurt to uh, hopefully educate and help and assist um, all of our clients and those that are interested in the liquid foliar application of nutrients and fertilizer uh, through a Toenfurt. Um, what we're going to attempt to do in this podcast is to really share information. This is about helping people, it's about uh, sharing what other farmers are doing, what agronomists are re uh, recommending, and generally how farming and farmers can improve uh, the way they practice over um, or into the future uh, with the challenges that present themselves on a daily basis, sometimes it seems. Uh, it's an opportunity for discussion, uh, and we'd love to receive feedback from everybody uh, around what your topics or topics you would like uh, us to uh, find more out and to discuss and to get special guests potentially on uh, to the podcast. We've called it Fert Focus because we want to focus on different systems. We want to focus on what people are doing uh, and how the toe and Fert predominantly has assisted people in achieving the results that they're now starting to see. So today's first edition is a really interesting one, um, uh, but before I go into that, uh, I'll introduce myself. My name is Jolian Ludbrook and I'm the marketing manager for Metalform, the parent company that manufacture the toe and furt machines here in Dannyverk, New Zealand. And with me is Michael Smith, the sales manager, otherwise known as Mr. Toe and furt Around the Traps. Um, and many of you will know Michael, he's, uh, he's the man in New Zealand that uh, has spent a bit of time with the Toe and Furt over the years. So Mike, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of yourself and um, and your experience and history with the Toe and Furt? Yep, so yeah, g'day, I'm Michael Smith. Um, yeah, did 18 to 20 years dairy farming myself, um, four to five years contracting with the Toe and Furt, uh, probably the first one in the world actually to contract with a Toe and Furt machine. Um, had some big clients down south that we did a lot of trial work with, uh, so understand quite well how fertilizer can be uptaken by the plant and nutrients, um, can understand different systems, work with organic farms, um, diverse pastured farms, standard dairy farms, sheep and beef. So yeah, been around the traps, done a lot of testing and understand the system quite well. Good stuff. All right. So um, as I mentioned, the, we're quite lucky today. We've had uh, the Align Farms regenerative trial presentation in the last week to 10 days. And we also ran our own webinar it was with uh, Maya Smith and for those of you who don't know Maya Smith, Maya Smith is a dairy farmer in Atiamuri uh, in New Zealand here. He's got quite a um, hilly dairy farm would you say? Yeah steep, steep, quite steep. Quite steep for a dairy farm uh, but what Maya has done he's uh, basically converted this ex-forestry block into a dairy farm um, over the last I think it might be about nine years or eight, seven, eight years. Don't quote me on that, but it's about that long. Um, but the last four years, he's completely changed up his entire system to basically now be running a full regenerative uh, farm. So Mike, um, let's touch on, I guess, what the regenerative angle is first. And um, one thing that I picked up was the principles that both were practicing were very similar. Both of them seem to be talking about the eight to 15 species. Um, I know Maya tried the 25 and above, as did uh, the team at Align Species, um, but they've both of them come back to the 8 to 15 species. Can you tell us a bit about what those 8 to 15 species are, what you, what you know of those? Yep, so a lot of them that they're going with are herbs, so plantain, chicories, and a different varieties from perennial to annuals. Um, clovers, up to four to eight different 
sorts of clovers, white and red clovers, um, and a lot of different pasture species, perennial pasture species. Um, not a lot of like Italian ryegrasses or anything like that, which traditionally a lot of commercial dairy farmers use. Uh, yeah, more longevity stuff, more looking at using herbs and, and legumes to produce free nitrogen, um, picking out paddocks and putting in cover crops for a three month period um, of diverse species just for root depth and stuff like that to free up nutrients, free up soil compaction um, and yeah they're both doing very similar things and it's good. Very diff very similar things but on the at very different stages. Um, let's touch on the Align Farms trial first and we've just finished a question and answer session online which some of you may have enjoyed. Uh, with them uh, in the results that they're getting. So two years in, um, it would be safe to say that they're kind of going, yeah, this is pretty cool, but we're not 100% sure on it yet. Would, would that be your reading on it? Yep, that's the same reading that I sort of got on it. They are, their flip side of it too is they've picked up some traits in that system that they're actually going to try in the conventional part of their farm. So just for their trial, it's, it's, they've halved their dairy farm um, on Clearview. And both the regenerative one and the commercial one, the I'm sorry, the conventional one, are 148 hectares. So they're doing a fair on fair trial. They're testing milk right down to fats and proteins um, and actually milk quality. Yeah, so from that point, they're, they're doing very good things, um, picking up some good traits. Both the regenerative farms are reporting happier cows, healthier cows. Uh, Alliant farms have got a little bit of a cell count issue it is a little bit higher I wouldn't say it's an issue bad issue but they do have a higher cell count on their regen side compared to the conventional but when they've gone back and looked how they actually split the herds they created that issue right at the start so it's it's stayed persistent all the way through but the gap hasn't got bigger whereas Myers reporting that as cows cell counts lower um, animal health issues like um, retained cleanings and stuff like that are lower um, empty rates are lower He's actually having to sell cows now on to be still in milk. They're not actually wasted cows because he's just, yeah, his turnover, his average herd life is getting up into sort of 10 to 11 years compared to when he was conventionally down around seven or eight years. And I think a line are, are similar. Mm -hmm. um, they're getting better results from their in-calf rates on the regen side than what they are on the conventional side as well. So if we look at um, uh, the Align Farms somatic cell count issue, um, obviously that's led to a higher expense on animal health products. I think they, from memory, it was $75 on the regenerative um, side per cow and 60, maybe 65, if I'm correct, for the conventional side. Is that going to be directly related to that somatic cell count? Yeah, they did say that it was related to the cell count. They, they're quite proactive in that front, that if they see an issue, they treat it. Um, as in trying to stop the spread through the rest of the herd. So with it being higher, um, and you're not, I'm not talking high as an extremely high, yeah, but the direct cost on animal health did come back to one, treatments of somatic cell count, and the second one was the regen herd from the winter. Um, they come off their winter crop, they ran out, and with the wet um, early spring they had, they had to put them onto pasture on a runoff block, um, and they ended up having a few animal health issues due to that. Um, around downer cows and milk fever. They did say something, um, I can't recall exactly what, but it was around the soil uh, depth and the, um, I remember uh, talking about a six centimetre uh, soil depth and the increase that they've seen. Can you talk to that a little bit about what you sort of felt the Align team was starting to see there? 
Yep, so down on the Align Farms, it's down on River Flats and Ashburton there, um, quite gravelly soil, and they were saying that on their conventional side, um, they're having to water it quite often, whereas on the regen side, once they've put in their diverse pastures and it started to do its work, they've seen like root depth down to sort of 8 to 10 inches, and water holding capacity's gone up. Mm. So they're actually finding that um, if they were to spend the money on a VRI irrigation system, variable rate system, they would probably be doing it at about a third, a quarter to a third of the rate of water to what they are on the conventional farm. So they're only actually watering every three to four days compared to every day like they are. And that translates to a, a, a fairly significant saving on farm, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. Mm -hmm. And to the environment, not having to use all that water. Yep, yep, absolutely. So if we look at the, um, if we look at the Align Farms um, study overall, um, as we've mentioned, we sort of felt that they were kind of, you know, happy, but they've still got another, effectively another two years to run. Um, what would you expect to see over those two years, do you think, with the trial at its current position and what we've learnt over the last week? Um, I think their end goal, at, currently at present, they're about $600 a hectare down on the region side than they are on the conventional side profit-wise. So $600 a hectare sounds quite a lot, but the, the gap's not as big as what I thought it would be. So I think you'll find that by fine-tuning stocking rate and fine-tuning residual residual rate that they're leaving, um, currently they said they were leaving around that 2800 in their paddocks, and they'd like to see that down to 2500 2600 So by, by reducing that down by putting more cows on, and I'm talking 30 cows more in that mob, um, which would lift their stocking rate, I think it was to about 3.6, 3.7. So if they think if they can get the stocking rate right, they're going to pull that residual down a bit, which will give them better quality, but also by the cows, the 30 more cows picking it up, they're going to produce more milk solids per hectare. But yeah, the biggest cost this year that's actually pushed the gap wider was the fact that because of the wet spring, having to buy and mm -hmm. feed, bring some feed in um, in the form of barley, I think it was, to feed to the younger cows to get them cycling. Um, and that was silo just because the whole of Canterbury was in the same board. Just It was that wet and flooding and pasture damage and stuff from the floods, um, having big portions of the farm out running short on grass and in the conventional side and running short of feed in the, in the other side, region side, they had to bring some feed in, so that's pushed the gap quite big. If we look at the Align Farms trial, they're using Ricky Taylor of Fert Solutions uh, down there in Ashburton. Um, the Town Fert has obviously played a significant role in them being able to apply the sorts of products that they are. Um, can you tell us a bit more about their nutrition program and what Ricky is actually applying for a line? Yep, so on the conventional side Ricky's doing the nitrogen products, the nitrogen based products, so springtime was ammo, um, then they got onto some just more straight urea, then they did, they still like to do some of their maintenance fertiliser, um, their peas and their k's in a conventional way through granular, um, so Ricky actually has a bulky as well and does that for them. Um, and then the rest of the season plan is just the nitrogen products are going to go on through the toe and fur um, with a few other little bits and pieces added in their minerals and stuff like that. Um, on the regen side, they're using um, fish, fish and seaweed, a um, little bit of sulphate of ammonia and stuff like that. So that's all going on to the regen side through the toe and fur machine. And yeah, they're getting good results. It's given them a good tool to be able to feed 
the individual plants, knowing that every plant is getting nutrients added, landed on it. Um, it's given them the chance to put EM, so effective microbes in the mix as well, and get them back into the soil and working, and um, also minerals. They did do a trial there for about two or three months where they actually stopped the minerals thinking that some of the pasture and some of the species of plants they had planted were going to help mineralise stuff in the, in the soil and bring it up to the plant, but it, it wasn't happening. So they've gone back to supplementing small and often minerals in the plants. Yeah, great. So they talked a little bit about um, the 190 cap as well, although it's not really a problem for them because they're... Even on the conventional side, they're actually below the 190 already, aren't they? Yeah. And in fact, we touched on that now in, in our case study that we did in 2020. Um, the regenerative side, though, they're down even lower um, with the end side, which is something to be expected. Um, can you just touch on that and how they're now utilising that? You mentioned it before, but just go into a bit more detail around how they're utilising the nitrogen on both sides of the trial. Yep. So. From the regen side of it, they're down to about 10 to 13 units in, I think it was. Um, and that's coming in the, in the fish and the seaweed. Um, so it's, and they're doing four to five applications a year of that. Um, and the sulphate of ammonia also plays a little part in that. But they're down real low limits on the sulphate of ammonia. And I can't remember what it was. I think it was down to like 15 to 20 kilos. So um, you're looking at four units, five units of N in that form. Um, on the conventional side, I think prior to Tonfert starting there um, a few years back, they were up around the 270, 280 mark. Um, they're now down to constantly at 180. Um, but Reese thinks with some learnings they've learnt from plant species they've planted um, and the way they're going about the region side, he could see the conventional side going down to around 80 to 90 units and still being able to grow the tonnage of grass they're growing. And that's all being applied, the end that is, through, in a liquid form yes. through the tarn fur, yep, isn't in it? in a liquid yeah, form, yeah. yeah. That's right. So he did mention, uh, Reese actually today, we've just seen an increase in the cost of N, uh, urea in particular. He did mention um, uh, that part of it. Can you touch on that now a little bit about it? We've seen the price potentially going up to $1,300 almost a kilogram, uh, sorry, a tonne. You know, what's that going to mean for farmers? Yeah, going forward, I think that's going to still increase. We know through meetings we've had with our counterparts in the island that they're currently at $1,760 New Zealand dollars a tonne over there. Um, Victoria went to $1,350 a tonne about three weeks ago, and we're at now at $1,190 a tonne mm. plus GST. So. It's slowly coming, um, and it's only going to close in. People I've been talking to in the fur industry are talking close to $2,000 a tonne by the start of next season. So if those come into play, couple that with the 190 units that you've got to try and use, um, there's big savings to be had by putting your, uh, your nitrogen on in a liquid form. Um, and it doesn't matter where I sell machines in New Zealand, where I help people do trials and where I've done it myself. We have seen an instant reduction of 40 to 45% of in use from a granular form to a liquid form without any change um, and growth uh, through grass. So most straight off the bat, most farmers can achieve 40 to 45% without even thinking twice about it. And, and I'm confident to say that I can help you achieve that on day one. That's pretty easy to do. And we're certainly seeing that in the Align um, trials, haven't we? Yes. They've, they've reduced it so significantly that they they're actually applying little bits extra as they go where they feel they need to if the weather happens to play a, a yep. negative impact on the on the, uh, the the growth of their dry matter so um, that flexibility built into the farm um, really helps them with the management they, they they are not 
constrained by the 190. In fact, they're able to work well under it and then up and down depending on what their pasture needs, yeah. um, which is really, really interesting stuff. So um, round length was another thing that Reese touched on. And again, he touched on this in our case study uh, a couple of years ago uh, in regards to increasing your round length and how that can impact and reduce um, the N. And they were looking, I think, that they would go taking the round length, the extended round length from the regenerative trial and applying that potentially to the conventional model. Um, what was your read on that? Yep, so yeah, we're back in 2020 or whenever it was we videoed Reese. Um, he was talking then that they were currently on a 20 day round and just by going from a 21, 20 to 21 day round out to a 23 to 24 day round, that's three days around that you've gained, times it by 10 rounds a year, you're out to sort of sort of 20 to 30 days extra which cuts out one whole round of nitrogen so that was one tool that they were going to try and implement but also by doing the regen trial cows can still produce milk on long round lengths where you've been led in the past to believe that grass that long is of lower quality and cows will stop milking they've actually proved to themselves that they can still get cows to milk then on those longer round lengths so he's looking now and implementing that across to the conventional side and pushing it sort of from a 23 day round out to a sort of 26, 27 day round. So all of a sudden by doing that, you've dropped another round of urea out of your system. That also gives you a tool that if you're way under the 190 um, limit and you're out to one less round, that's got you've got tools in your tool belt that if, if grass for some reason it's dry and then it finally rains or it's, or it's wet, that if you need to grow grass in a hurry, you have units up your sleeve to help you grow that. And growing grass is still the cheapest form of feed, even at $1,100 a tonne. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, look, um, if we pull it back then to um, Maya Smith and um, the Willith Farm. Now, I'll, uh, I've known uh, Maya and, and worked with Maya uh, in a previous um, job that I was in as well um, through a product that he was using and is using on farm. Um, and of course, we've done a case study on Meyer in the early days when he first bought the 2800. Uh, and I think when we first caught up with Meyer, he had just pretty much started his conversion. Um, if he hadn't started, he was probably a year or maybe 18 months into it. Um, he bought the Toenfurt to basically enable him to reduce his urea and to apply uh, the Agrisy product that it was at the time that he's using. He still is using to this day. And uh, he was starting down the multi-species path as well. So let's just talk about, I guess, what we learned from Maya yesterday, apart from the fact that he's more relaxed than ever, um, which is great. And I guess a bit of the history uh, of the Maya Smith story is that he was starting to get really frustrated with the farming uh, system that he was running. They'd bought this forestry block that had difficulty uh, running a conventional um, program on it to grow grass. They just couldn't do it. It wasn't really working. He was pretty burnt out. He'd had enough. Uh, he happened to see a seminar come up for one Christine Jones. He went along to that. And I think he describes it as a bit of a light bulb moment where he suddenly kind of went, I know what I need to do now. And since then, he's essentially gone completely headlong into this regenerative pathway that four years later he now finds himself on. He's a lot happier, he's a lot more relaxed, he's enjoying his farming again. It's all of those good things that we love to hear about. So let's talk about now firstly, I guess, um, the system he's running and, and essentially what he's doing and what he's done. So over to you. Yep, so I've known Maya probably since he bought his machine and. 
2018, I think it was. Um, I knew of him before that. We actually went to school together, and I actually went to primary school with his wife, so I've known Jenny for a little while. Um, so when I first met them at the field days, their goal was basically they just wanted to lower their nitrogen use and do things more efficiently in a particle form or in liquid form because, yeah, he was just sick of getting bulkies in and just seeing tons and tons and tons of fertiliser going on per hectare. Um, I think his, he told us at his webinar yesterday that he was spending $1,000 a hectare mm. on fertiliser just to try and get this ex-forestry block up and running. From there, they, they got onto AgriSea and started a trial with AgriSea, and I think their trial plot was 30 to 40 hectares at the start. It may have even been smaller than that to start with, and then they went to 30 to 40 hectares, and once they seen the changes... Um, and if you were to go onto their farm, it is very easy to see the changes that they're talking about. When I first went on their farm, some of their hill paddocks, and I'm talking they are steep, steep country, but some of the steepest farm country that's dairied in New Zealand just about. You take a spade length and dig it up, and he had root structure down to two to four inches, and they were just basically getting nothing. They dry off, burn off real bad in the summer, um, and everything was a struggle. Every time he was just highly strung because they were chasing the next blade of grass, where they buying the next lot of silage from, what are they doing? So then as he tr transitioned over to this sort of regenerative thing, using the agri-sea, using seaweed, using fish, and, and changing over and getting back to feeding the microbes and feeding the plant and feeding the plant little and often, feeding the plant only what it requires, and getting his head around that whole stuff, he's completely changed his lifestyle, his farming ways, He's no longer highly stressed. Farming's still a challenge. Farming's always going to be a challenge because the things you can't control like Mother, mother Nature and stuff like that is always going to be a struggle. Um, but from a farming point of view, he said he's cows are milking as good as ever. They're healthier than they've ever been. Um, he's making more money than he's ever made. Life's good. He gets to go fishing in the afternoons. Um, so it's all good. Uh, and he's now, you go to his farm... You can see from some of the slides that we looked at at the webinar, he's got root depth now down to six to eight inches. Um, Topsoil is building year on year. Mm. Um, the colour of the soil is healthy. The microbes are healthy. The, the worm life's huge. And, yeah, everything's just ticking along. He's probably doing better things in the area on his steep farm than people just down the road on a flat farm are doing for probably a lot cheaper um, and a lot better. And doing good for the environment. One of the interesting things was he shows a picture in uh, in his presentation of, of his wife Jenny standing in the paddock. Now it's important to remember Jenny's not the tallest person in the world, but um, you know he's got crops literally at her height, which is about five foot three, five foot four, I think. Um, now, I mean, that that's just a, a foreign concept to many people, isn't it, as far as a dairy farm goes? Um, and and you know he talked about the uh, the trampling in as well of, of um, the, the the paddocks to flatten them down to to basically enable that soil building to to happen. You know what what is the what is the methodology or what is the reason for that? A lot of that trampling in and stuff is to get the plants to naturally break down and put organic matter back in the soil to help build topsoil. But also it's about protecting the soil from the elements so from a lot of rain and washing soil away from heat and drying the soil out and letting it blow away it's protecting the bugs protecting the bacteria and yeah the breakdown process for organic matter but it's also keeping the root structure of those big plants alive because other ones tapping down other ones that are aerating the soil bringing 
bringing elements that you need and nutrients from deep down in the soil that you've spent years and years and years paying for fertilizer to put there and it's bringing them all to the top through a mineral mineralization process to make them plant available for the next crop to grow so it's all about protecting and and helping feed the next generation in because the interesting thing was that if you look at the two case studies, Align and uh, the Willith Farm, Meyersmith, Reese and the team were talking about having to top the odd paddock, um, I think, and that was that was on the regenerative side. Whereas whereas Meyer was talking about trampling those paddocks. Yeah, um, they're one and the same. In a way, they are. Yep. So so Meyer's at certain times of the year block grazing. So he's he's putting them into little blocks and he's causing the cows to eat and walk around and causing them to trample it down and then he'll move them on. So he could be moving them three to four times a, a day mm. just to get that process. And just one thing to remember is Myers now once a day all year. So he's, the cows are going in these blocks, they're trampling them down for three to four hours, move them on, three to four hours, move them on. Whereas Align Farms, I understand they're still conventionally grazing as in put up a fence, the cows go there from milking to milking and that's what they do. And move they're not doing the moving on or the cow trampling from that point of view um, I believe that Maya also does a bit of um, diversifying as in letting the crops grow quite long if they get out of control instead of topping them he's letting them go through to the point where they self seed um, and then they're going in using this confined grazing trampling it down and then letting all the regrowth come back and that's how he's getting his quality back whereas Align farms are still sort of conventionally doing it where they go in there and graze and if their residuals are too long, um, they'll top the paddocks to get quality back. But they're not topping down to conventional topping where we're going right down to 1500 cover. They're topping down to probably 21, 2200 cover, um, whereas they normally graze to that sort of 26, 2800 cover. So, so there's, there's differences but there's similarities going on between these two and, and I can only help as a complete novice in this field but I can only help but think that a lion's pathway you know, could, if they pursue the regenerative angle even further and carry on with the trial, which they obviously are, um, will end up more like Meyer at the end of their trial. Yep. Um, as, and that indeed is where Meyer is now. So it's an interesting parallel to watch how these two blend together. Uh, and that really touches on, I guess the sort of finishing angle of this whole regenerative argument and what role it, it uh, takes in New Zealand dairy farming. Um, and, you know, what we really saw, I felt, with both of them was that obviously it's an individual choice per farm, but both of them sort of said there's this balance that you can achieve. You don't need to go whole hog organic, which would be, I guess, the ultimate in regenerative. You can go part of the way with each of these systems. And, and Maya's gone further than Align at this stage. Uh, but both of those um, farms are still using the conventional products in some way or another to bolster whatever it is they're doing. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, so both farms are using some conventional products along the way to help them bolster stuff. Um, Alliance Farms using a bit of a sulfate of ammonia on the shoulders. Um, and Myers, I'd, I'd call Myers a little bit of a start of a hybrid sort of system where he's he's still using six to eight units of N um, where he needs to to help push quality and pasture ahead. Um, well, diverse pasture ahead, obviously, because he's in a whole farm system. Um, so being once a day, being the climate he is and how steep he is, um, and it can get extremely hot in that valley where he is, um, he's using nitrogen strategically pre-Christmas and, and post-summer just to help push 
feed ahead so he can be self-sustainable, not have to buy on a lot of product to feed his cows. So if we just quickly touch on, and we'll go into more depth on how to run a trial and how to start a trial, but I think the message from both of these, um, uh, these farms was that basically if you want to get started down this path, one, start slowly, and number two, start with a trial. Um, you know, what, is a, what does a trial look like? Sum it up really simply and really quickly, but how do you start a trial and get a trial underway? Yep, so the best way to, to do a trial and, and get a trial underway is first you have to think, what are you trying to achieve? Mm. So what, are you, what you're trying to achieve is you're trying to, you're trying to prove that this is what I conventionally did or this is what I currently do, and if I swap to this, what's that going to look like? So to do that, you've got to either pick one paddock, two paddocks side by side. A lot of people will pick, say, a paddock, two, three hectares, and decide that they're going to do half what they normally do and half what they think they're going to do with toe and fur. So whether that's an organic trial, whether it's nitrogen, whether it's potassium, phosphate, doesn't matter what it is, what your system is, you're always looking to change something. So to, to compare the two, the only way to do it is you have to have a control plot. So you have to have a plot that gets neither of anything. So you need to know that naturally, based on what's historically been put in the ground, we're going to grow X amount of feed. And then we have to monitor that by going, conventionally we grew this much, so you minus that from the trial plot, and with what we're trying to achieve with the toe and system, this is what we grew, so you minus that from the control plot. And it's the difference between the two is what you actually grew. If you don't know historically what you can grow, you're actually only saying, well, I grew this on the time fit side and I grew that on the conventional side, but you've got nothing to measure against. So the only way to fairly do it is to measure. Um, so that's the first stage. The second stage from then on, once people have done a basic trial like that and you want to go to the next step, you need to understand the mine change required to do liquid fertilizer. And the only way to do that, again, is to measure. So knowing that if you put on X amount, and for this example we'll say 20 units of N. If we went and put 20 units of N on in a liquid form, how does that look pre-grazing of the animals in a herbage test? Because you plant it in a liquid form and it's taken up through the plant, through the leaf, then you need to know what the correlation is between X amount of units put on and what that looks like from a pasture point of view and understanding then how when those nutrients in the plant pass through the cows, what's the plus and minuses to that? So yeah, the first stage is to mark and measure what you did from a growth point of view, and then you've got to look at it from an animal point of view, because at the end of the day, we're in the farming, in the business of growing a, a, growing a feed to put through an animal to get milk out of it, so or meat. So it's all looking about the system, mark and measure it. And mark and measure really is the the crux of everything, isn't it? I mean, if, you, if you're not measuring it, then you're just basically, it's the iometer kind of thing. You're just guessing, yep. really, aren't you? Which, you know, for some people can be perfectly valid. Yes, um, but if you're wanting some real numbers in there and you're wanting to really compare things for, for serious decision-making, um, then it's that, that measuring and testing, isn't it? So, okay, look, that's great. So we're going to touch on and move into our next section now, which is basically um, focused on the toe and foot. And, Mike, um, we've been out on farm with a number of our new owners recently, and um, there are a couple of common questions that um, we get asked. So what we wanted to do to finish off the podcast today was just to touch on a couple of those um, uh, sort of first queries, if you like, when people receive their machines. Um, now, number one, our goal or the goal of most of our clients initially is to reduce their N. That doesn't stop people from thinking ahead and asking the question of what can go in the machine. So how do you answer that question as simply as possible? So 
pretty much straight off the bat 80 percent 80 to 90 percent of what balance ravens down and other fertilizer suppliers in new zealand sell um, is liquid soluble so if it's liquid soluble it can go in the tow and ferment machine if it's not liquid soluble it has to be fine particle so 200 microns or finer and that basically that's where you can go the the tow and ferment comes with an app um, if you believe that you know more than the app, you will have troubles. So follow what the app is telling you. The app knows mix ratios, maximum loads, all that sort of stuff. If you follow that, life is simple. If you think you know more than that, then you will run into trouble. Um, so pretty much all the products are there. At, currently with the COVID situation, there are a few problems popping up with products because they're getting sourced from different countries, different makeup, stuff like that. We hear from our contractors when those pop up because they're the biggest users of the machines on a wide variety of products. And if they pop up, then, yeah, we're going to start chucking that stuff on our Facebook page, talk about it on this podcast, stuff like that, just to inform farmers, just to be wary of what's out there and alternatives to those products. Okay, cool. And um, secondly is how much do I know, sorry, how do I know how much to put on? Uh, and this touches on what we're talking about, about testing and measuring. So um, if you can just, how, how does a farmer know how much to put on when, you know, we talk about a 40% reduction pretty much immediately, that's all well and good. Uh, but what does that mean? So straight off the bat, from my experience on my own farms that I um, were shear milking on and from contractors, um, from when I was contracting out on other properties, we did a lot of mark and measure, mark and measure. And without doing that, I would never have taught myself what things look like. So um, having an understanding of what's required. So we're trying to keep nitrogen around 45 to 5% in the plant from a herbage test point of view. So I know from my experience down in Southland that if we're growing between 90 and 100 unit, I mean 100 kilos of dry matter a day, we're needing between 13 and 15 units a in in a 25 day rotation to maintain that 45 to 5% in the plant. So I learned that by physically going out and doing paddocks. So maybe I might go and do one paddock where I've put 20 kilos on, another one I've put 30, another one I've put 40 on, and then pre-grazing we go and measure those. And then from that we can look at different percentages in the plant um, and how that correlated back to units put on. So it's all about teaching yourself and upskilling yourself. Soil test still important. Soil test at the end of the day is what's in the bank. What's in the bank for that one day when you can't afford fertilizer, fertilizer price gets stupidly expensive, or or what your situation is. Everybody has a, has a situation at some stage. So knowing what's in the bank and what you need to do is important, but also growing grass, we can grow grass without depleting the bank by basically understanding and feeding our pastures, depending on what it is, how diverse it is. We can do that um, with balanced other elements to maximise what we have in the soil. So basically we're talking about feeding the plant, aren't we, in many ways. It's, it's literally about feeding the plant what it needs to enable it to grow to its maximum ability. Yep, that's it. Yep. Okay, so the next question is, farmers will often come up to you and sort of say, well, here's what my FERT rep has um, recommended to me. What do I do? Yep, so a lot of them do that. It's quite common. Probably 90% of farm owners, machine owners, tow and fert owners do that. Straight off the bat, I'll say to them usually, email me what they've sent you. And from a point of view of mine, from my experience from contracting and my own own farm, firstly I look at the plan and go, are the products they've suggested water-soluble? Can they go on a tow and fert machine if they're not water-soluble? So that's the first part. If the answer is yes, it's pretty simple. Um, I understand. 
quite good that what's required at certain times of the year at what rate to, to grow grass. So I'll say to them, if it was me, if it was my own farm, this is what I would do. Um, but it comes back to do the first round and measure because as we all know, soil type, soil condition, rainfall is different all over New Zealand. So my experience, I haven't farmed everywhere in New Zealand. So my experience is based on knowing that where I have farmed, this is what we did and this is the results we got. So it's all about put a, put, put a plan together for them and measure it. Um, so that's the first one. And the second one is if their products can't go through a tow and fit, like superphosphate, ag lime, um, stuff like that, then it is finding a product that will and suggesting to them based on one, a budget that they want to keep to, and two, what they want to achieve, I will suggest maybe this product or this product to take place of those products. Um, so it's all about making a system that will go in the toe, toe and fur, but also, because they're new to the system, is keep it simple. So my advice is, don't think you can go and do the hardest product that can go in a toe and fur machine on the first week, because it'll drive you crazy and it'll make you go nuts. So start off with nitrogen, Two reasons you start with nitrogen. One, it's very simple to dilute. If you do muck up and think you know more than the app, it's very easy to fix the muck up. But also, it's an easy way to say, this is what I've done, this is what I measured, this is my direct saving, because everybody has a finger on the pulse when it comes to nitrogen. So my advice is a couple of months of doing nitrogen and then venture into other products. And we've certainly seen that um, with a number of our clients uh, this year, haven't we, with the magnesium um, shortage, uh, which we ran through winter and, and coming into springtime, um, you know they started extending themselves beyond the uh, beyond the urea uh, only pathway, and um, you know they've managed to grow their knowledge of the uh, the tow and fert themselves and what they can put through it, uh, and suddenly they're seeing those those additional benefits come into play uh, on their farms um, beyond just the urea savings. But they've started slowly, and they're now starting to be able to experiment a bit further. Well, look, that wraps it up for today. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be uh, coming to you, uh, we're hoping once a month, uh, but we're looking to you guys, to our listeners, to supply us with topics that you want to learn about, that you want to know more about. If there's someone you want to speak to, hopefully we can engage them and get them involved and, and get them to talk to us on this podcast. Uh, so please drop us a line. Um, we'll put the email in the description and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page, which is just simply at Toenfert is the handle for that if you're looking it up, if you're not following it. Other than that, thank you for listening. And until next time, that's Fert Focus by Toenfert. <laughs>